But you thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing? Ah, uh, thank God. I'm great. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Yeah, entirely my pleasure, in fact. And I I suspect we are going to agree on almost everything uh, to do with wokeness. So, I mean, it might just be worth maybe thinking about in positive terms to start with. So I suppose the term woke, when it, at its inception, I think it was just earnestly meant to describe someone who was, I suppose, socially aware, you know, awake to the injustices of, of racism, things like that. And now, whenever I see that word used, it, it almost always seems like it's being used as a pejorative, mm. uh, as a smear, as an insult. So in a way, are the anti-woke winning the, the war? <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. I mean, the word started as black slang to describe being aware to the systemic injustices that are still perpetuated against black Americans. Um, I, th I believe there are still some, I mean, vanishingly few, but there are still some areas, of course, where Black Americans are treated differently. And it's very bad. And it's a huge problem. Um, the problem is, is there's been a huge mission creep in the civil rights movement, away from saying, hey, there's a population in this country that is not treated like everybody else, and deserves equal protections under the law, to becoming something very, very different. So what is that different thing that it's become? Um, so sociologists started using the word woke. They appropriated this word that used to belong to sort of black slang to refer to systemic injustices against black specifically. <laughs> and they started to use it to describe a phenomenon that they noticed in polling around 2015. And this is the phenomenon. They noticed that white liberals had become more extremist and radical in how they thought about race than Blacks and Hispanics. So for example, if you pose the question to Americans, um, you know, all groups have worked hard in order to achieve, should this be the standard for everybody, um, including Black Americans, right? Should everybody work hard and therefore achieve, you know, whatever they can in this country? Um, and if you pose that question to all Americans, uh, white liberals were the most likely by a huge margin to say no. They can't achieve on their own. They need our help, right? As opposed to Black Americans and Hispanic Americans who are like, yeah, of course we can achieve on our own. Like, we're not different from other people. Um, if you asked Americans, you know, how important is diversity? Uh, Black Americans, Hispanic Americans were like, ah, you know, it's okay, right? White liberals, it is the defining factor of American society. Diversity is the only good thing about, you know, meaning they got very extreme and they started to view people of color as, <clears throat> excuse me, inherently powerless, inherently lacking in agency, inherently marginalized, whatever that means, in a way that really does not reflect how people of color in America view themselves. And this was uniquely a, 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 an attribute of white progressives, white liberals. So the, sociologists wanted a word to talk about what had happened to white progressives, where they became kind of weird on race in a way that like didn't even reflect how people of color think about themselves. So the word they chose for that was woke. So we can get into like where it came from, how white progressives decided to see people of color as having no agency and being totally powerless and themselves as the root of all evil. Um, but that that's kind of the evolution of the term. I think that's how it's used now is to refer to that phenomenon on to that worldview, the way I would define woke today is it's when you take a worldview that should be based on right versus wrong or good versus evil, and instead you say the only difference that matters is who has power and who does not, powerful versus powerless, and then you superimpose onto the di difference between powerful and powerless a racial category or a gender category, say 
All people of color have no power, are powerless, have no agency, and are therefore inherently virtuous. And all white people are inherently evil and suspect and problematic because they have more power. Of course, this is nonsense. It's morally nonsense. People of color don't think about themselves as having no agency or no power. It's racist. It's disgusting. It's despicable. That, that's what I would define as the woke worldview. And I can go into like where it comes from. But that's kind of, I think, I would say the evolution of the term. That's, that is fascinating because I think it, a lot of the, the issues we have with wokeness, it just kind of stem from a sort of bourgeois, you know, liberal white guilt. And when you speak to people, not that these people know anyone uh, <laughs> of an ethnic minority status anyway, but I mean, I think there was a similar polling in terms of the use of the word Latinx, wasn't there a while back? <laughs> that the, 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 the Latinos in, in America did not care for that either, but it was solely a, a white progressive movement. And, and in the UK as well, we, we'd find that a lot of our ethnic minorities are actually very socially conservative, which is something the white yeah. liberals in our country really don't take it into account. So so, I mean, what really fascinates me about this really, I suppose, is that how much it's got its uh, hooks into academia, uh, the younger generations. Uh, campuses really frighten me, especially campuses in America frighten me with what I'm seeing. Now, I'm always trying to check myself and make sure I'm not just that approaching middle-aged, getting uh, disillusioned with kids in, in general and finding, you know, my, you know, conservative second half of my life or whatever. What what can you point at to say, well, actually, this is really a, a huge problem on campus and it's not just some sort of a moral panic from us older fuddy-duddies? Well, first of all, I think it's really important to become an older fuddy-duddy. I mean, we're supposed to be very wrong about things as young people and be idealistic and believe that human nature can change inherently, right? I mean, you're supposed to think that until you get a mortgage, right, and become a homeowner. And then you're supposed to sort of realize, like, oh, actually, like, things are a little bit more complicated, right? Like, that's kind of the natural progression. Um, I, 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 I am actually less panicked than most people, I think, because to me, the wokeness and the, you know, it, it's very much an elite phenomenon. I mean, the American working class is completely immune to it. I mean, completely, completely immune to it and suspicious of it. They're deeply tolerant people, um, but they absolutely cannot stand the wokeness. And this is working class people of all races. And so I feel like it the, the, woke, the wokeness has a, a very limited capacity to spread. It spreads as far as a college education spreads. And the reason for that is because you know, students in college get inculcated into this worldview. Um, and, you know, people will say to me, well, you know, STEM, they're not getting it in STEM, but they are getting it in STEM. But even more importantly, like to get a college degree, you have to take a composition class. And that composition class is taught by an English PhD. And to get an English PhD, you have to take a whole bunch of classes in, you know, postmodernist theory, postcolonial theory, critical race theory, critical theory, all this like crap that we imported from the French that, you know, basically endorses this world view of, you know, there's no such thing as right versus wrong. There's only powerful versus powerless. So so to get your college degree, you have to pass through the gauntlet of like woke indoctrination. And the problem in America is that we have a massive class divide um, where a third of Americans go to college. And then thanks to the Obama doctrine, that is really the only way to achieve the American dream at this point. And so we've created this huge class divide where we, we're, we're ruled by this elite that has this horrible worldview. They are like just, they have no 
values. They can, they literally cannot tell right from wrong. You're seeing that right now with the like mass endorsement of Hamas, you know, like literally endorsing Hamas, right? That because you could see how that comes straight out of the woke worldview. Hamas has less power than Israel and therefore it's virtuous. That's why they're all chanting, you know, from the river to the sea. And, you know, so they, they cannot tell right from wrong. The problem is, is that um, because, of, you know, a third of people went to college and because to get any position of power in America, you have to have that college degree, like our entire media is now people, but 95% of American journalists have a college degree and 94% of them are liberals. So they're all, well, I mean, basically if you're not at Fox News or in one of the conservative publications, you are, a, you're woke. And so our entire media uh, core, they, they all believe this stuff. And that's why you're seeing such, such absolutely terrible reporting about not just the current conflict, but everything. I mean, start, you know, you pick any, topic and you'll see how how I mean I'm sure you guys had this with Brexit as well like the problem there in the reporting is like people look at things through this woke lens and unfortunately the wokeness is in many ways an expression of uh deep contempt for the working class and I think Tom Wolf really did the best job of laying this out in this book he wrote I don't know 50 years ago Radical Chic where he argued that the reason people buy into these kind of ridiculous ideas like, you know, these woke ideas like that, you know, it actually it's racist to want a colorblind society. Actually, Dr. King's vision is the real racism, right? <laughs> I mean, you're trying to hear this. or like the, the reason they buy into crazy ideas like that there's no difference between a man and a woman, right, is because they if you're in the elites, you have to distinguish yourself from the bourgeoisie, from the middle class, right? You have to show I am better than your average middle class person. That's where something like Latinx comes in. It's a way of signaling elite belonging. So as America became more and more tolerant and overcame our horrible racist past, as every middle class American, as every Republican started to realize like, oh, Dr. King was right. Like the only society worth living in is one in which you're judged by the content of your character, not the color of your skin. The elites had to turn on that, right? They had to find a way to distinguish themselves from every middle class Republican who finally came around to like the founding vision of this country. And I think that's really what you're seeing. That's what I mean, the reason wokeness spread so far is it's not that it, it it's not that, um, you know, it started in the in universities, but then because we made it a, a basic condition to achieve a position of leadership in this country, you had to have that college degree that's where it really started to spread and explode and take over the media. And once it took over the media, it started to spread to other liberal people, even ones who hadn't been to college. Um, but I do think we're sort of seeing, I mean, right now, there's just a huge backlash against it. But the backlash started already a couple years ago. I mean, the you know, the working classes, they're not going to, they, they can't stand it. And you can only ignore like 90% of your country for so long, right? So we're definitely in the woke lash, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a woke clash. I like that. So I'm, I'm just harking back to Martin Luther King. And I, I remember I wrote um, a review of Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility mm. book a, a few years back. And I, I think I summarized with quoting, you know, Martin Luther King's great, great um, hope for, you know, judging with a uh, person on the character rather than the color of their skin. And I, and I made a little joke at the end of it, something like, and I, I eventually quoting that as a white person will, will probably be considered a, a racist microaggression. It turns out I was already behind the times on that because somebody got in touch to me to point to me to a campus where where that was the case. But it, it, in terms of this woke, woke lash, I think you called it, and people 
being uh, wise to it now. I'm just wondering how how much the gender arguments played into that, because with with things surrounding race, especially in America towards Brits, it can be quite esoteric in terms of uh, you know police uh, shooting numbers, the the goals of BLM. Uh, a lot of that can go under the radar in terms of their real objectives. But I think everybody right minded instinctively knows what a man and a woman is without much prompting. And I think this being in, thrust in our faces uh, writ large has really turned a lot of heads to just how insidious and detached from reality this ideology is. I totally agree with you. I think when it came to race, the burden of proof that America had overcome our horrible past was on the people saying, look, all the evidence is, is that Americans are no longer racist. Most of these problems have been solved. And the ones that haven't, we are like 97% of us are in agreement that we want them to be. Like the burden of proof was on people like me who are saying, guys, we got to look at the data. Like you're you're fighting a fight that was won by a previous mm. very brave generation and pretending that that is still the front lines. That's just like, that's just narcissism. That's just like, you're just, that's just vanity. We have real problems. That's not the real problem anymore. That's just you trying to act like your political enemies are racists, but they're not. Right. That, the, but the burden of proof was on me because the history was there. I mean, the, the history was there. The police shootings are still there. If you want to be Heather McDonald and say, look, I can prove to you based on the data that the police shootings are not so much. They're not disproportionate when you consider how much crime is in that community. The burden of proof is on you to make that argument. OK, I mean, I, I happen to think she successfully did. Right. But but it, the burden of proof has to be on the person saying taking America's history with race and saying, We've overcome it. We're in the next stage. Not fully not fully solved, but we're in this next stage. When it comes to children, when it comes to children and changing a facet of their bodies where they will never be able to reproduce, where they will never be able to have an orgasm, the burden of proof is on you to prove that that is the civil rights issue, right? That 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 um, changing them in a way that they will never be able to changing children who are stupid and wrong about everything. That's their job, right? Like the, the burden of proof is on the trans community and their activists to prove that they are on the side of civil rights. When you're the person saying, actually, I want to be able to expose myself in a women's bathroom, the burden of proof is on you to prove why a woman's right to privacy is not the, the civil right here, right? Why your right to expose yourself is. And they simply failed to meet that burden of proof. That's kind of how I see it. And I think that they thought it was going to be easy to move from the racial question to the gender question. And I think you're totally right. Like something really rebels, like a good hearted, normie, middle class person. When you say to them, America's not racist anymore, it's just normal to be like, well, are you sure? I mean, well, you yeah. Know, really fighting a, an uphill battle here. But if you're a person saying to a normie person, like, actually, you are a bigot if you don't allow me into the changing with your children. And I'm a six foot three male pre-op male, like, I'm sorry, like, they're just going to rebel at that. And I think the difference is, is like the elites think that they are so much smarter than everyone and so much better than everybody. And they want us to think that their self-regard and their narcissism and their vanity is moral or is morality, but actually it's just the privilege of having gotten an elite education. Like they mistake their privilege for morality. And I think we can't let them get away with that. <laughs> 
who was it who said that some ideas are so stupid only an academic could believe them? <laughs> so some, something like that, I think. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Uh, but I mean, in terms of um, sort of media outlets and people playing along with this, I mean, I always, I always tried to be somebody in my in my skepticism or criticism who, who tried to lean on the science in terms of the big the big questions where you know where science is applicable. And in the area, you know, in the area of gender and biology, science is you know absolutely applicable. But then we see article after article coming out of sort of scientific American trying to muddy the water on the binary nature of human sex. What explains that desperate need from a once respectable publication kind of debasing itself with pseudoscience in the name of an ideology? However much you hate the media, it's not enough. It's just not <laughs> enough. They're so, so morally depraved. I cannot describe, I probably can, you've probably been to, you know, journalist parties and met these people, the cravenness of these people who masquerade as better than all of us because of their endless credentialing, where they learned nothing about the world, except to feel like they are morally superior to working class people. Um, it's just horrific. And what's happening there at these publications is there's a younger generation that showed up and said, you know, not only are our tech skills better, not only are we on TikTok, not only are we gunning for your jobs with our, you know, better skills, and we're younger, and we're better looking, but we're going to call you a racist and a bigot, if you don't uh, capitulate to every single one of our demands. And unfortunately, these people capitulate. It's a combination of their own moral vanity, because, you know, oh, they suddenly can feel, you know, that they are even more moral than their neighbor, who's also a progressive, but maybe slightly less progressive than they are, right? They can lord it over them at dinner parties, like, well, what? You still think that, you know, there's such a thing as a man and a woman, right? It's a combination of that and having a mortgage and not wanting to get fired and seeing, you know, these social media mobs that are whipped up by their own colleagues who name and shame them for not being woke enough. They, and they are just so craven. It's, I can't even, it's, I mean, obviously I'm coming off a few like um, intense weeks of like media criticism and seeing them just drop the ball, but it's, it, they drop it always in the same direction. They never apologize. And they are just terrified of being denounced by woke mobs on social media. And so they will say literally anything um, to avoid that because you see what happens when you stand up to these mobs. I mean, we've all experienced it, right? Like you are humiliated and shamed in the most extreme possible ways and they come for your job and they come for your family and they, you know, it's unpleasant. But I mean, literally our job is to stand up to that and many people are just not up to it. I agree. I mean, do we need a cultural shift in that regard in terms of, you know, big companies uh, and, and place of employment just not responding to social media outrage? Could there be a policy perhaps in terms of, you know, if no laws are broken, people are entitled to express their opinions? I mean, luckily in the in the UK, we had some really good um tribunal court verdicts in, in recent years. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of who Mayor Forstarter is and Alison Bailey, people who were both you know, experienced prejudice in the workplace because of their gender critical views on social media. They actually won their cases. And I do, do we just need a, a few people to be burned at the altar of woke before we kind of realize this is this isn't the way we go forward anymore. We need a better, better culture around these things. I just think people should stop reading the news. I mean, it's just useless. You, I mean, these 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 publications have just be clowned themselves again and again and again. They are not worthy of your attention. They're not worthy of your money. They're not worthy of your time. And they're irrelevant. I mean, with social media, like you can get better 
better news coverage by following like five people on an issue who are in the space, who are on different sides of it, you will be better informed because you have read people on different sides of an issue than 90% of the reporters at the New York Times. If you follow three smart conservatives on Twitter and, you know, three smart, you know, leftist progressives, like you will be smarter on every issue than 90% of American journalists because they don't follow any conservatives. Like they literally refuse to understand how conservatives think. Like it's just, they're useless. And I, I think that they are beyond salvation. I really do. Like I, I, I've just lost so much respect for that. Again, I just keep coming back. Like, however much you hate the media, you don't hate them enough because they hate you so much. I mean, they have so much contempt for average people. And you see it in their rage at these big podcasters and big platforms that manage to grow a big audience, right? Like, have you ever noticed how much like the legacy media hates Joe Rogan? They can't stand that people are actually listening to him instead of them. And they project onto him like they, they'll say like, oh, he's talking about COVID misinformation. He's going to get people killed. He's not telling anybody what to do or what to think. He's telling them how he thinks because he respects his audience. He would never tell them what to do. But the journalists have this, they expose this fantasy they have that everything they say, their listeners and their viewers and the American people will jump immediately to follow them like sheep. You know, that's their fantasy of their, that's what they want their following to do. So they hate anybody who has a big following and they pretend and they imagine this fantasy, like that they have this power over their audience when it's the opposite. The thing that makes them powerful is their respect for their audience. I agree. I mean, these last few weeks specifically have been a very low moment for the mainstream media. I, I signed the um, I was asked to sign the the October declaration in the, in the UK, which was kind of uh, urging BBC to be more um, balanced in its reporting and taking, you know, stern objection to the fact they wouldn't refer to Hamas as terrorist, which is it's been a huge debate in our country. They're being referred to as militants in the reporting. But that's that's a whole new can of worms, I suppose. But um, in terms of like, I agree with you in terms of if you can find some uh, objective voices on both sides of the debate on social media, it's, it's a good way of figuring out what's going on in the world. But I mean, just to play devil's advocate on that as well, the internet has allowed a fair number of people to, you know, get stuck in a silo. You can have two competing, mutually exclusive views on something where one is, you know, incorrect. Well, both can be objectively incorrect, but you can certainly find enough people on each, each side to sort of bolster that opinion and pat you on the back. I mean, there, it's almost a sense, in a sense, people are living alternate realities now, thanks to the the, the media on the internet. Uh, so how, how do you navigate that, navigate that to make sure that you stay objective and, and don't go down a, a rabbit holes or chemtrails <laughs> or something like that? Um, so that, that work is probably the most important work. Um, but it's spiritual work. It's you have to work on yourself. Like whenever you want something to be true, like that's when you have to really, whenever I really want something to be true, that's when I'm like, Baya, just take a minute. Like <laughs> if you want this to be true, there's probably a reason for that. And you better be sure. So go find someone really smart who you really don't like because you think they're wrong about everything <laughs> and make sure that you've checked this out and that you've heard how this person you disagree with has talked about it and that person you disagreed with. There's nothing more valuable on earth than having a person who you respect and love who you totally disagree with. I have very, very close Palestinian friends and I'm so grateful to them for being in my life. And, you know, a lot of that relationship these days is just getting on the phone and crying together. I'm going to be perfectly honest, but you know, they, because 
it's so important to know how the people who you disagree with see things. Otherwise, you're going to the problem with the left is they've like axed everybody who they disagree with. So they're lazy and stupid and they're in this echo chamber. Like we all have to do that work, but it is deeply spiritual work and it's working on yourself and it's not letting yourself get away with just believing everything that you want to be true. And I think a lot of that is in social media when you've taken a stand and people have attacked you for it. Right. It's much, much harder to then down the road admit that you were wrong about that because you have ego invested in it. You have a battle invested in it and you have enemies who are just waiting for you to fail. So we we, we become very protective of the things that we've taken a stand on when being a journalist, like the number one thing that like our job is to change our minds in the face of new evidence. It's like literally the job. And yet our the way we promote our work, which is social media, has made that very, very, very hard. Again, it's like the spiritual work, like of having friends and cultivating relationships with people you respect, who you disagree with. Like there's really, I think, nothing more important. That's a great answer. But I mean, that's just tied me back into something else. I mean, I'm not a religious person. I'm a, I'm a secular atheist, but I, I kind of view this sort of woke ideology almost as a, you know, a, a quasi religion in its own right, except for one that has no path to redemption. And we just mm -hmm. harking back to what you were saying there. I mean, we see that in the sort of response people get when the woke mob goes for them. These people capitulate, say they're sorry, say they'll do better. And the woke mob just seems to twist the knife even further because they don't really want an apology. They don't want somebody to be better at understanding something. They kind of just want to wield a bit of power. And I mean, do you, do you give much thought to treating this ideology as a sort of fundamentalist religion as opposed to just a sort of social movement? Well, I'm very religious. So I, to me, <laughs> that's never like, that's not what being religious feel. I used to be woke. That's okay. So I'm very religious. And I, w I was for a while woke. I fell down the rabbit hole of wokeness <laughs> and they really don't feel the same. Like being religious is all about questioning yourself and holding yourself to a higher standard and being very forgiving of other people's shortcomings and like always thinking, how can I do better? I'm sure I'm not doing enough and, and always finding ways to, 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 to excuse other people and give them the benefit of the doubt. And it, that's the, to me, the opposite of of the woke thing the woke thing is all about i am the 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 virtuous one i am at the top of the food chain and trying to like judge everybody and condemn everybody so i've ne it's never really um resonated with me to call it like a religion because um the the like the, the it just it doesn't feel the same like you know it's like it doesn't feel at all similar like you know being religious means answering to a higher power whereas these people the only people that they answer to are like you know the wokest people on twitter who they're like afraid are gonna like so it, it's it doesn't to me the experience of being religious the experience of being woke feel very different but of course i understand why people say that the dogmatic nature of it and um, I, I can, of course, hear hear why people say that. Um, I do think that like that we were led down this path by like, um, you know, fundamental lack of humility about like what it means to be a human and a fundamental lack of appreciation for the sacredness of um, of every human life, which I associate very much with, you know, certain versions of the Enlightenment. So I, I, I do think that there's a you know, I, I don't know that. Um, I, I think to me, they're on, uh, you know, the wokeness and religion are kind of, I think religion is kind of the way that we get out of this is by remembering like the sacredness of, of every human life. And I don't really know how you can arrive at that. Like I was not able to, to arrive at that when I was, you know, when I was in my sort of woke phase, but um, I, I hear that a lot. And I, and I respect why people think that. 
It's <laughs> a good answer. And I suppose, I mean, a lot of this woke ideology in a way is an overcorrection to historical injustices. And I just wonder, is it possible that the pendulum could swing the other way and people could overcorrect in the direction of woke ideology? And then obviously some people's civil liberties might be dialed back in terms of perhaps, you know, women's rights, minority rights, gay rights, because obviously the, the gender ideology has already, you know, managed to wed itself to the sort of LGB movement. There's a bit of a schism there and a break off in terms of who represents who and why but do you think it's possible that we may see some sort of blowback and an overcorrection i think the lgb schism the like lgb versus qt if that's what you're talking about right yeah. like how so that the lesbian gay and bi separating from the queer and trans to me that the answer to your question is no i don't think that there, there's going to be rolling back of civil liberties for minorities and for gay people because well so my next book that i just finished um is about who is the american working class and and do they have a fair shot at the american dream and i spent a year traveling around the country and i just got to tell you i met so many like deeply religious christians who are very conservative working class people who have a gay person in their life who they want to be treated with respect and dignity, who they want to see in a loving marriage, who they want to see raising children. Like to me, the sort of normie working class point of view in America um, is, is very complex. It's not liberal, these people aren't liberals, but like they believe very fundamentally um, in dignity and equality for all people, regardless of race and regardless of sexual orientation. So they're very pro-gay. They're also very anti, uh, anti-trans. Um, they're very worried about the trans agenda. They see it as coming for children and they see it as fundamentally different than demanding dignity on behalf of gays and minorities and so forth. And so to me, what I'm hoping is that the woke clash is going to transform into having more respect for the points of view of working class Americans, a kind of movement to empower them, a populism that we're seeing rising um, on the right, especially. But, um, you know, so to me, I don't I don't see it like none of these people who are worried about the trans thing um, w see that as as relevant to how they want gay people to be treated. And I'll just give you one statistic to sort of back that up. So 65% of Americans, if you ask them, will say they they want trans people to be protected from discrimination in housing and in the workplace. But only 18% think they should be allowed to compete in women's sports, right? Okay. So that's the that's the American working class right there. Like Women's sports, no way. But does that mean you can insult them or you can discriminate against them, that you can hurt them, that you can treat them with without dignity? No, no, absolutely not. An adult, everybody deserves to be treated with dignity. That doesn't mean you can indoctrinate my children. So that I think that's the norm. Yeah, that's, that's a great distinction, but I think we've just run out of time and I could keep speaking to you for hours on this topic. Maybe we should have you back on, on so, at some point to... Uh, talk about everything that's been going on in the last few weeks as well it'd be great to get your your thoughts on that but I've, I've really enjoyed this maybe you can just let people know where they can find more of your work and, and writing oh boy i'm on twitter but no one should go find me on. just don't go on twitter just just <laughs> do yourselves a favor you know just you know go for a walk no, nothing good happens there nothing good happens there at all <laughs> um, I'm I'm the opinion editor of Newsweek, so I curate the op-ed section with my wonderful deputies. I do a lot of TV hits, but um, I yeah, I, I my book will be out in April. You could buy my old book, uh, Bad News: How Woke Media Is Undermining Democracy. I wrote it a couple years ago. It's extremely relevant. I feel weird self-promoting at this time, but um, it gets into both a lot of what we discussed here. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it.
Take care.